This winter, I've been thinking about changing my email address. Uh, my Gmail address refers to the fact that I run. And I'm thinking I might need to change it to I used to run because my running has been really, really spotty. I, I can say that I run, but every morning when I get up and it's dark and cold and rainy and I decide not to run, it really tests my commitment. I'm either a runner or I'm not, and whether I am or not is all about actually running. So you gotta do the thing. And I'm learning that testing is a good thing, and it's at the heart of what we're gonna talk about this morning. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter eight, beginning at verse one. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you, there you go, in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So testing is going to happen. And it doesn't sound really good to us because being tested sounds like we can't be trusted. We like the honor system. I said I'm going to do it, I will do it. I mean, what student ever said, no, I won't uh, cheat on the test, you can trust me. So the honor system has its limits, right? Like, I, I don't want the honor system when it comes to surgeons. I don't want to be lying there on the operating table and have the surgeon come in and go, well, I've never done this operation before, but how difficult can it be? Uh, no, thank you. I want someone whose skills have been tested, oh, thousands of times before they get to me. The ancient texts talk about testing, and they always talk about it as a positive thing. The Apostle James writes some great stuff, and I love the message translation of it. It says, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenge come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work in you so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. And then the Apostle Peter tells us that testing and trials come so that our faith can be shown to be genuine. And more than anything, I think that's what these passages are about. Are you the real deal? Is your faith genuine? Are you walking the walk as well as talking the talk? I mean, there's a, a million ways to ask the question. You're going to be tested, and when you are tested, it's going to show who you are and how real your faith is. Are you a runner, or do you actually do it? This year was filled with testing for us, and we found out what many of us were really made of. Many of us discovered that we can handle much more than we thought we could. We pivoted, we adapted, we found blessings, we read more scripture, we prayed more, we went for lots of walks, sometimes for exercise, sometimes to count to 10 multiple times in a row so that we wouldn't say something we would later regret. Most of us found God present, even in hard times, maybe especially in hard times. And we responded, even in the midst of the testing and the hard times, by loving and caring for others. We took care of each other whether by wearing masks, even if we didn't want to, or by signing up to check in on people or stop by with flowers or cookies. We shared what we had. 
I remember the food drive we did for UWT, and it was right at the beginning of the quarantine. And I thought, how many people are going to leave their house, go to the grocery store, get groceries, and come to the church to drop it off for a bunch of college kids that they don't know? And we were overwhelmed by your response. The food pantry at UWT was overwhelmed by your response. I mean, I got a thank you note from the chancellor um, thanking us for what we did for them. We shared. And we did that because we focused on what was important. We focused on reaching out in Jesus' name into our communities. But maybe testing showed you that your faith wasn't quite as deep as you thought it was. And maybe that was a little bit sobering for you. If that's you, I hope you'll recognize that and take some steps to tie you more deeply to the lifeline that is Jesus. So right now, we're in that position of moving out of the old familiar territory into new territory. And there will be temptations and our faith will be tested. So here in Deuteronomy, Moses lays out three temptations. Angela talked about the first a couple of weeks ago. There will be the temptation to forget and to test God instead of trusting him. Last week, we talked about the temptation to get lazy and compromise and to follow other gods. And today's temptation is that there will be the temptation to believe that all the good things we have are because of our own awesomeness. Verse 3, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. Let's pause there for a second because I love manna. And one of the things that I love most about manna is captured here that none of you guys had seen this before. I mean, imagine walking out of your tent in the morning and knowing that God said he'd provide for you and you look and there's this white stuff on the ground. What do you say? What is it? That's manna in Hebrew. It just means, what is it? I love that. Oh, okay, I like it. So, neither you nor ancestors known to teach you that a man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. There's two things to note here. The first is Moses reminds the people of when they went through some very lean times. We've all had lean times, haven't we? Maybe starting out. I remember Megan and I made $7,000 the first year we were married. We were both in grad school, and the tables in the living room were the boxes that our stuff had been shipped in. And we thought, our kids are going to hate us. You think you have it hard? Well, we had boxes for tables when we first got married. Or maybe your lean time was losing a job or getting a divorce or having unexpected bills. Or maybe you think, my whole life has been lean times. Uh, I get it. But Moses reminds the people that when they were going through the lean times, it was rough, but God still met their needs, and he did it in some pretty miraculous ways. And so he wanted to remind them that they had learned that they could rely on God even during the lean times. And hopefully you've learned that during the lean times, you can rely on God. In fact, in the lean times, you probably had to rely on God because you didn't have too much choice. And when you have to rely on God, it makes it easier to trust him. When you don't have to rely on God, when you have other options like money and power, it's a little bit more complicated, isn't it, to trust in God. 
The second thing that I want you to note is the quote, people do not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is one of the scriptures that Jesus quotes on this, when he's being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And maybe you're not familiar with that story, but you've probably heard the quote, man does not live by bread alone. Well, here it is in context. What Jesus means and what Moses means is that what really sustains us is not physical food, but faithfully following Jesus. It's about obedience. It's about when we're tested, in this case by hunger, still being true to our faith, still trusting God. Moses is talking about a period when these people's parents were traveling through the desert. They'd left slavery in Egypt and they were making their way to the promised land and resources are pretty sparse in the desert. They didn't have food, so God provided food for them miraculously. They needed water, God provided water. They needed clothing, God provided. And God provided for every one of their needs. And here's the kicker. During this period, God provided all these things for them, and they still failed when they were tested because they refused to trust God. Ultimately, all these people died. But at a real level, they didn't die of starvation. They didn't die of lack of water. Ultimately, they died from lack of faith. Their stomachs were full, but their hearts were empty. They were tested by the lean times. God was faithful, but they weren't. Moses reminds them that during the lean times, they can trust God. But now, the testing is going to be different because they're entering this new territory. And he wants them to take the lessons that they learned in the lean times and to apply them moving forward. So verse 6, Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Instead of lean years, you're moving into a time of abundance. You're gonna go someplace where you have everything you need and more. And so the test is, where do you think all those blessings come from? Verse 10, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then drop down to verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. What Moses is saying is, when you have all the food you can eat, when you have a well-paying job that you find deeply satisfying, when you've got money left over to provide some of the finer things of life, when your pension will last you for 400 years, where will you believe those blessings come from? Will you remember that all good gifts come from God? 
Or will you think that you have all of these things because you're pretty awesome? See, here's the temptation. When we don't need to rely on God for the very basic elements of life like we did when times were lean, we have a tendency to forget that all good things come from God. That everything we have is a blessing from God's hand. Around here, we have a lot of people who are very successful in life, however you define success. We have what the Israelites had when they moved into the promised land. We have a beautiful and fertile place that we live in. We have more than enough to eat. We have plenty in any way you want to measure it. And the temptation for us is to forget verse 18. Remember, the Lord your God gave you the ability to produce wealth. God is faithful in the lean times. God is faithful in the times of abundance. But sometimes we have to work a little harder during the abundant times to remember that it's God's faithfulness that produced all of this. I think we're going to be tested. And I think the reality of our relationship to Jesus will be tested this next year. There's this interesting cultural phenomenon that I am witnessing. Many people of faith want God to bless what is in essence a cultural Christianity. We want to make sure that what we believe, the way we believe it, is codified in the law and sustained by the courts. We want the church to regain a favored place in society. We lament the tearing down of our Christian values. And none of those are bad, but we want all of those things while at the same time, church attendance, financial giving, serving, engagement, and every other measurable aspect of what it means to follow Jesus is in free fall. I don't get it. We want our bread, but we don't really want to live by the word of God. We want a culture that's Christian, but every way that we measure discipleship is declining. In this text, God is exposing the shallowness of his people's commitment to him. And I'm wondering what the testing that we're going to go through will expose about us. If it will show that our relationship to Jesus is pretty shallow also. So there are a few things that I think we need to consider. I think the self-made person is a myth. No one makes it alone. So stop and think about where you are in life. Who are the people who helped you along the way? Who supported you? Who encouraged you? Who worried with you? Who did you know you could call and talk about anything and that give you good solid advice or at the very least just listen to you? Who gave you a break somewhere along the way? What were you given to work with because of the circumstance of your birth? When I look at my life, I realize that most all of my success is due to people who have influenced me. And most of the failures, that was pretty much all me. So next, as you look over your life, where have you seen the hand of God? And let's be a little bit careful about this, because when we look for the hand of God in our lives, we look kind of in the same way as when we say, God answered my prayer. And what we mean by that is God did what we asked him to. And I get it. I understand exactly what we mean by that. We're thanking God for his provision for us. But in reality, God answers every prayer. It's sometimes or often not in the way we want or expect him to. So maybe we're tempted to think of God being present or God's blessing 
only when good things are happening. But that's not necessarily true. Here's something I've noticed. I've seen an awful lot of very savvy business people who've lost their businesses or their position because of circumstances often out of their control. I've known a lot of very astute financial people who lost tremendous amounts of money. I've known really great teachers who never won Teacher of the Year or Most Popular Teacher, and they still found God present. They found God's faithful. They saw God's blessings in their lives. And the challenges that they faced, the tragedies that they have, were often just the way life is, not because they were less intelligent or made poor choices. And I've also known a lot of people who were just neither phenomenally successful nor phenomenally unsuccessful. They were just faithful in all the quotidian details of life. They were faithful in their marriage. They fulfilled their promises. They enjoyed their friends and their family. They loved Jesus. And being average in the very best possible sense of the word wasn't because they made poor choices or because they didn't work as hard. It's just the way life is sometimes. So if you're going through lean times, God is still faithful. If you're going through boom times, if you had great successes, God is still faithful and be very careful about who you give credit to. Resist the temptation to say, I got this because I'm awesome. I've got this, God. I don't need your help in my life. As we move forward in a new territory, I think we're all at risk for not being as grateful as we need to be and not seeing or acknowledging God's blessing in our lives. I think we have the same temptation ahead of us that the Israelites did. So I want to make two quick application points. The first is that I think the first step on the road of walking away from God is in gratitude. And so I want to take you back to verse 10 because it's important and there's a really cool piece of history there. Verse 10 says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. This verse is why we say grace at meals. It comes directly out of here. It was this verse, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord, that caused Jewish people to stop and pray at meals for the very first time. And that led into our custom of stopping at a meal and thanking God. And if you think about it, it's brilliant. Because one of the first things that the text brings up as ways that we are blessed is in how much food we have. And so we've been handed down this application point of three times a day, however often you eat, of sitting down and looking around at all the food you have, and it gives you an opportunity to go, thank you, God, for all of the good things that I have in my life. So that's why we say grace. And maybe you do that on your family, maybe you don't. But if you do, that's why you do it. It gives you an opportunity to evaluate and remember. And maybe you don't say grace in your family except at Thanksgiving, but next time remember where it comes from and that it's an opportunity to look at all of your blessings and remember where they came from. The second is, when you think about the people who helped you get where you are, and I hope that when I was going through that list a few moments ago, that there was two or three people that popped into your head. Maybe you remember the break that that person gave you, and you realize if you hadn't gotten that break, nothing else would have fallen into place. 
Here's my application point. If they're still living, write them a note and tell them what a difference they made in your life. Send them an email, text them, whatever. Express that gratitude. It will be good for you and they will be blown away that somebody came back and thanked them for the influence that they've had in their life. A couple of weeks ago, we went down to visit my mother-in-law in Santa Barbara. We haven't been able to go in a while because of the lockdown there, and pretty much as soon as the governor lifted the lockdown and we could go safely, we did. We haven't seen her since October. My mother-in-law has had a terrible year. It was literally the day that California shut down that my father-in-law died. They were alone, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. We had, we, it wasn't unexpected, but we all had this picture that we would be gathered around his bed and would be singing his favorite hymns and we would be praying with him. And instead, he died, just the two of them together. We couldn't be there. We couldn't be there for months. They've been married for over 60 years. It was devastating. And any of you who have ever lost a spouse, you know how many details have to be taken care of. And so Megan helped as much as she could have from a distance. And when we were able to get down there, we were able to help more. And then October-ish rolled around, which was the last time that we were there. And we thought we don't want her to be alone on the holidays. And so we bought plane tickets. We were gonna bring her up here so she didn't have to be alone for the first time in over 60 years. And she broke her hip. And so not only was she alone, she was alone in the hospital. And then after she was discharged from the hospital, she lives in a, in a covenant, covenant retirement center, has her own apartment, independent living, but they, they put her back in the hospital wing because she was still recuperating. She was one of the very few people that got COVID. Um, thankfully, she um, remained asymptomatic the entire time, but it was just, we were like, what else can the poor woman have? So two weeks ago, when we were able to get down there, knowing everything that had gone on in her life, I sat and I talked with her and I was amazed at how quickly she went to thankfulness and blessing. And I looked at her as she talked about how grateful she was for all of the blessings in her life and I thought, I think you're a better person than I am. I don't know. If, now, maybe I would get to the blessing, but I would go through the sea of complaints first. And her faith in God, her trust in God, was tested this year, and man, was it proven true. And it caused me to look at her and go, I want my life to be like that. And honestly, that's how God wants it to be. Because remember, God has a plan and purpose for us, and that is to show everyone else the reality of the love and the presence of God. And we do that by how we respond to testing. So I have three questions for you. The first is, what have you learned about yourself this year? The second, who helped you get where you are? And the third, what new thing can you do to become more thankful?